Father, there's surely something that we need to hear from you today. And Lord, we believe there's a word in your word for every one of us in this place. So Lord, we sing about hope and we pray that we would live in this world as signposts of hope for others. Because a lot of people are losing hope all around us. But Lord, I thank you that our hope is not a dying hope, but a living hope rooted in the resurrection. We set up shop at the entrance to an empty tomb. And that's how we see life. Our Lord has overcome death, hell, and the grave so we can live. You're a life-giving God. Make us a life-giving church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So good morning. Good morning to the saints, to God's holy people in Houston. Say, Pastor, I don't feel like God's holy people in Houston, but that's who the Bible says you are. Remember last week I said that Paul wrote to those people in Colossae and he said, to God's holy people who are in Colossae in Christ. I was in Scotland when I started memorizing that and it occurred to me the only place I have to be holy today is where I am. So start where you are and live as God's people there. Remember what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. It says you are God's chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession for His purpose, which is to declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. And so you have this morning as you have sung, I left you with Paul's blessing of grace and peace. What do we do with grace? Well, at least we ought to be grateful for grace. And there's a couple places in the Bible where Paul will just say, as we're thinking about how we do God's will, twice at least in 1 Thessalonians, he says, so this is God's will for you. When you see that, shouldn't we pay attention to that? This is God's will for you. What, God? What do you want me to do? That you would be sanctified. This is the will of God for you, even your sanctification. So abstain from sin he says. So God sees you through the blood of Jesus as his holy people. Now let's become who we are. Let's live out what God has made us to be. First Thessalonians 4, 3, this is God's will, your sanctification. The second time he says it, the next chapter over, it's in that sort of um, series of little statements where he's telling them how to live the Christian life. And he says, rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we say, how can we give thanks in all circumstances? Under the circumstances, Pastor, I just, I can't be a grateful person. I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He, he said, uh, so the key in life is whether you take, uh, take things for granted or you take them with gratitude. And Paul chose to take them with gratitude. Let's see it in God's Word. We come back to Colossians. We're going we're gonna to start in verse 3, verses 1 to 3, and then I'll pick up uh, verses 9 to 14. As we come to this table 
which all the way back in the first century in the Didache, which was kind of the teaching that the church used to help people grow as Christians, uh, in addition to the Bible, they had the Didache. It's kind of a catechism for people to grow up. And in that, they called this Lord's Supper the Eucharist, which means, that's the Greek word for the Thanksgiving. So as we come to the Thanksgiving, let's see what Paul has to say about gratitude in Colossians chapter 1. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord together today. Colossians 1, 1 to 3, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace. In that order, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Verse 3 says, We always thank the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. So God is our Father. He's Jesus' Father. He's our Father. So we're brothers and sisters, faithful where we live. And Paul gives thanks for them. Specifically, we'll see next week, for their faith in Jesus Christ, their love for all of God's people, and the hope, we just sang about it, that they have in Christ. Now, Paul's going to ask them to be thankful as well. And I'll show you. It's part of God's will as he outlines it in verse 9. For this very reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Here's the will of God. You'll live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, doing four things, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you'll have great endurance and patience. And here's the one I want to focus on this morning. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom... We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Paul practiced what he preached. Paul will tell the churches pretty consistently, if you read the letters, he will say to them, so I want you to be grateful. And he will often start his letters. I, I thought about this yesterday. I used it when I talked about Jody Weaver, St. Jody, who went home to be with the Lord at the age of 95 after uh, being such a, a bright light here in our church. I thank God, Paul said to the Philippians, every time I remember you, I always pray for you with joy. Paul was in this habit of giving thanks for others. We'll see next week. He had good reason to thank God for what the grace, the gospel of grace had done in the lives of the people in Colossae. But then he says to them, and I want you to be grateful too. And it's not sort of generic, oh, say thank you, like we teach our children. But it's actually very specific. He gives us three reasons to be grateful. Before I unpack them, I could hear somebody again say among us, well, Pastor, if you just knew what my week was like, you wouldn't even try to tell me to be grateful because I don't have anything to be grateful for. And I would just say to you, remember that when Paul wrote this letter about being grateful, he himself was in prison. He was in prison. 
And he said, I'm grateful. And I want you to be grateful. And that very fact shows us that we can be grateful, that there is good reason to be grateful for all that God has done for us. And so I just point out a couple of quotes I think that are helpful to us. Theodore Gill said to to Scott Peck, gratitude is not one of the characteristics of a genuine Christian life. It's the primary characteristic. And here's Henry Nouwen. Gratitude in its deepest sense means to live life as a gift to be received gratefully. Back in 2012, December, November, December 2012, I was really sick and and uh, I didn't like what I was seeing and what I was hearing, and I was having all kinds of tests run. And I'm telling you, ever since then, ever since then, my mantra has been when somebody says to me, so how are you, Duane? I will say, grateful. Because every minute of life is a gift. And that's what Nowen's getting to. Gratitude, as the gospel speaks about it, embraces all of life, the good and the bad. I mean, Paul's writing from prison, the joyful, the painful, the holy and not so holy because one thing we know if God's will is done in our lives we're going to be sanctified he's going to make us holy that's that same word we're going to be saints not because we performed three miracles and some church council voted on us but because of what Jesus has done for us by taking away all of our sins God has made us his holy people in an unholy world Now, does that mean everything we ever do is right and good, that we always do the right thing? No. I was talking with a good friend of mine. He said, I still make mistakes. I said, so do I. But know this, that God is ruthless and relentless. He's going to make us holy. But being grateful, that's a choice we make. So we join God in this enterprise. And grace and gratitude, you can even see in the spelling, they're cognate words in English. It turns out they are also in Greek. Charis is grace. Eucharistia, gratitude. They're related to each other. So since God has given us grace, we can be grateful. How do we know God has given us grace? Let me give you three reasons. First of all, we can joyfully give thanks to God for our adoption. Now, some of you were adopted by parents in this world, and you would say to me, exactly. I had a friend call me from South Carolina this week. His son's getting married, and he started telling me the story about how he adopted his son. He was a preemie. He was like 13 weeks early, and he was born and uh, at 27 weeks or 28 weeks, and they have raised him. And this summer, he did an internship in Washington, D.C., and he's about to get married to the love of his life. And he was telling me this story, and I just thought, I love the love of people who are, who are adopted. I love the love of those who adopt other people. I think it's a beautiful kind of love. And you say, well, I don't know what that's like because I wasn't adopted. Well, let me just say to you, the Scripture says you were adopted. So in this passage, when he says he has qualified you to share in the inheritance, who gets to share in the inheritance? Only the members of the family. So if we're thinking Old Testament, who are God's people? Well, it's Israel and the inheritance that God has for them. But we get to the New Testament and we realize that Paul says God has adopted us into his family. So in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, he kind of spells it out for us there. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, is that you? Are you being led by God's Spirit? Well, you're the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself 
testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's John in 1 John chapter 3. Look at the love. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. So here's the best news for I can give you today about being in God's will. Are you ready for this? You're in the will. You get to share in the inheritance of God's people. If you're wondering, will I ever be in the will? No, you're in the will. You're in the one will that matters, God's last will and testament. And by the way, he's not dead, but he includes you in the inheritance that belongs to his people. I remember when Melanie and I adopted Casey. For about a year and a half, she lived with us, and she wasn't officially part of our family yet because we were working through the court process, and you walked through that with us. Thank you for so faithfully praying for us. And, and I just remember listening to Toby Mack driving back and forth to Georgetown every Monday and hearing him say, all eyes are on you, God. All eyes are on you. And our eyes were on God, trusting him to make a way for us to be parents to Casey. And I just remember that she had not lived with us very long. And Melanie's dad came to visit us and just un- uh, elicited. We didn't ask him anything. We didn't say anything. He just said, so I called my lawyer and I put her in my will. I'm like, wow, okay, because we haven't even officially gotten to adopt her yet. But, you know, I mean, Melanie's dad was all in. He was all in for her. So, you know, he went to be with the Lord earlier this year and we're grateful for his life. And he, he left a legacy. And of course, he left an inheritance to his grandchildren. Not enough, as my friend says, to wreck their lives, <laughs> but enough to bless them. And so we were just talking that weekend as we were getting ready for the funeral. And I said to Casey, of course, you know, I mean, um, Papa put you, put you in his will. And she looked at me and she said, nobody ever told me that. I was like, oh, we knew. Papa knew. You didn't know? Okay, okay, you're in the will. And she was like, I, I never knew that. You could just see that realization. I was wondering, is somebody here this morning and you're living your life and you didn't even know? That as a follower of Jesus, he has, you didn't qualify yourself. He has qualified you to a full share in the inheritance so that, that God, every good thing that God has for people belongs to you in Jesus Christ. That ought to make you grateful. Doesn't that make you grateful? I mean, he's qualified. It's the second, the emancipation. So watch this. In the ancient world, kings could take a whole group of people and move them to a whole different place. And that's the word, methistomy, that's used in Greek here to describe what God has done for us. So he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and relocated us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So just as God loves his son Jesus, God also loves us and he has located us. These are different metaphors for salvation. Adoption is one. Emancipation is another. He has set us free from the dominion of darkness. I wonder, have you ever been rescued? Melanie loves to watch those survival shows, so consequently, since I watch TV with her, I watch a lot of those survival shows. And um, Bear Grylls, anybody ever watch Bear Grylls? He's got a great quote. He says, if you ever have a chance to get saved, take it. <laughs> like, if, if, if somebody's there to rescue you, be sure to accept the offer. Well, Bear Grylls is also a believer, and it's kind of a double entendre because he's not just talking about being delivered from, you know, a shipwreck or something. He's talking about if you get a chance to be saved from your sin, accept that offer. Be sure to take that offer. And this is exactly what God has done. We were in the dominion of darkness. We love rescue stories. I was thinking about, does anybody here remember, some of you weren't born yet, but some of you remember Jessica, the little girl who fell 
in the well in Midland. Maybe some of you lived in Midland at that time. I had friends who lived in Midland. They said it was like crazy, like the whole world looked at Midland, Texas. And we were all holding our breath, hoping this little girl could be delivered from this well that she fell into. And they rescued her. They got her out of there alive. And it was like the whole country was just like, thank you. We're so grateful that she got rescued. We we think about those uh, boys uh, on the soccer team last year who got caught in the underground cave when the water started rising. Remember that story? Were they Thai? Was it a Thai soccer team? Do I remember that correctly? One thing you'll know for sure, if you ever hear that I got trapped in a cave that was underwater, somebody forcibly took me there. Because <laughs> I don't go in caves. I'm not a spelunker, and, I, and, I'm, a, and I'm afraid of water. So I'm, See, this is like my double nightmare. I'm afraid of closed-in spaces, and I'm afraid of water. So I will never get into that willingly, and yet these boys, they go down there. They didn't know the water was going to rise. It rise, and the... the the stories of the rescues were just amazing, how they literally had to hold their breath and then they would swim and they would get them out and it was just, uh, and we were all just like waiting. Or think about the Chilean miners, the 33. There's a movie about that, I think, called The 33. I haven't seen it. I'm not recommending, I don't know, maybe, maybe good, maybe not. But that story is interesting because when those guys, when they got trapped in that mine, it was, um, somebody's written a book about it called Deep Dark Down. Deep, dark down. They're down there, it's deep, and it's dark, and they don't know. And it's interesting, because when they didn't know if they would ever see the light of day again, guys started getting right. They found one guy who was a believer, and they asked him to pray for them, and he was like confessing their sins. And Lord, you know, Victor Cortez feels badly because he drinks a lot. And you know, Lord, and and they didn't even care, because all they wanted was to get out of that darkness. And if we understood, I think we understand how deep, dark, down sin can take us. It'll take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. But the good news is, Paul says, God has rescued us from the dominion, the power, the control of the darkness of sin, and he has brought us into a kingdom. And it turns out, we're going to study it tonight, Psalm 2, his son is a king, and he's a good king. And he wants to be our king. And his father loves him. And his father loves us. And our choir sang this morning, Oh, love that will not let me go. Know that about God's love. His love is never, ever, ever going to let you go. And isn't that a reason to be grateful? And so adoption, emancipation, and the last one, I don't want us to miss, is redemption. It's like to to pay a ransom for somebody to release them. Think if you were kidnapped or something and somebody paid a ransom to get you out. Well, that's what God did. So in a way, Jesus' blood, which we celebrate as we partake of the Lord's Supper today, Jesus' blood paid the price so that we could be released. So he says, redemption is the forgiveness of sins. And I would just point out to you, there's there's three dimensions of that. We know that we're forgiven for the penalty of our sin. So Jesus, in his death on the cross, took the penalty of our sin. But the rest of the story is, in salvation, he also evacuated or vacated the power of sin over us. So we're also delivered not only from the penalty, but also from the power of sin. That means if you're a believer and you're tempted, it may feel like, well, I have to sin because I'm being tempted. But you don't because, because Christ power lives in you. This is the way he says it. It's uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin 
and death. And then in verse 11, he says, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, does that sound like a lot of power? To bring a dead person back to life? That power now lives in you. How much power do you have? Enough. Enough to do. His divine power has given you everything you need. 2 Peter 1.3. Everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's given you everything you need. And here's the beautiful thing. And this is good news for those of us who are still, we're still struggling, right? But this is what he says, that someday we'll be free in heaven from the very presence of sin. The penalty now, the power now, someday Sin will no longer even be a presence in our lives. I think that is very, very good news for people like us. And I just want to, before we come to the Lord's table and give thanks, we give thanks for our adoption, for emancipation. He set us free for redemption. He's paid the price. Brennan Manning says, I believe that the real difference in the American church is not, is not between, listen to what he says. There's more to the quote, and I'll give it to you. The real difference is not between conservative and liberal. It's not between uh, evangelical and charismatic. It's not between Republican and Democrat. The real difference in the American church is just this. It's between the people who are aware of what God has done for them and the people who are unaware. Because when somebody is aware of that love, the same love the Father has for Jesus, He has for you, doesn't that just make you spontaneously grateful? And I want you to see the distinction he makes. So he says, cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of our inner life, and the byproduct of our gratitude is joy. So it's not that we're joyful and then we become grateful. Listen to what he says. He says, Brennan Manning says, we're grateful, and then we become joyful. So can I ask you again this morning, how are you? Are you grateful? Because I am. I'm grateful for what God has done. So as we come to this table of thanksgiving, we give thanks today for all that God has done for us. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for adopting us and putting us in the will. Thank you, Father, for setting us free from the dominion of darkness so that we can live under the rule of our King. And yes, Father, thank you for redemption, for the forgiveness of our sins, releasing us from penalty and power and someday from the presence of sin. And today, Father, I pray that whatever else we are, whatever else we feel today, whatever else our dominant emotion is, that you would align our inner life with our outer life and that we would spontaneously express our gratitude to you as we come to this Eucharistia, this table of thanksgiving, we want to be sure to say, thank you, God, for all that you have done for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.